We welcome all of our new online listeners. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Finney, the hosting pastor of XL Church in IOM America. My wife Jane and I are blessed that you decided to join us. XL represents Exchange Life. Our church is an outreach of IOM America. We believe all online services should be birthed from the Lord's localized ministries. We want you to know you have our permission to download and or forward this media to a hurting world. We live in troubling times. As global crises come and go, we need to be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ is attempting to gain our attention, and we need to listen. Our media outreach, I Am Media Productions, demonstrates compassion in action. Everything we do sits upon the pedestal of compassion. So let's get started. Enjoy the worship, illustrative videos, prayer, and weekly message.
Lord, we understand that how blessed is the one who considers the helpless. And we believe, Lord, that you are the only one that can deliver each of us in a day of trouble. We believe that you, Lord, will protect all those who are helpless. I pray for a passion to be 
released in every authentic body member of Jesus Christ to really want to reach out and touch and help everyone that is around them. This earth is struggling, it's groaning, it's having birth pangs of the second coming of your son. We know that soon and very soon this is going to happen. But Father, as a body, as a group, we must be unified in believing that you will sustain us. You will sustain us when we are ill. And you will oftentimes restore our health. But in those decisions that you make to bring some of your children home earlier than we believe that they should, I pray that you would cause us to accept this as holy and divine and a pure righteous decision coming from your heaven. Father, we look around with the difficulties in the world today and the persecutions. Our enemies, your enemies, speak evil against us, the body of Christ. Many of us are strong and many of us are very weak. Anytime there is evil that rises up against the true church, may we stand strong, join forces, uniting in Christ, and pressing on to the highest mark possible in Christ Jesus. As for us, the true body of Christ, you uphold us with your integrity, and you set us in your presence forever. You are the God of Israel. You are the God of the bridal members of your Son. And you are, indeed, the God of every human that lived, is living, or will ever live. We thank you, God, for your sovereignty. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is Revelation number 12. We're calling it the Loveless Church. We're in the process of our study of now detailing each one of the seven churches. First of all, what Jesus had against them. And secondly, what he was requiring of them to keep their place or their candlestick in place in the heavenly places. So today we're going to be talking about Ephesus, the loveless church. Let's take a look at our passage for today. That's Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says, To the angels of the church of Ephesus I write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds, and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary, 
But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. Quick review of what the church is supposed to be. According to what the Hebrew pictures communicate to us, is that the original definition of church was a fire signal. Now, church in the Greek means to call out. Be like a modern term that we use today as to bring the cream to the top. The concept here is to call a group of unified believers to go public as a body of free citizens, freely proclaiming the free gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's being revealed to us in the book of The Reveal the revelation of Jesus. The word church is always associated with Israel. Don't forget that. It's critical. This is why the church is referred to as a she. God is the he. Jesus is the he. The bride of Christ is the she. And we are the church. This is why Israel is referred to as a she. The Old Testament or Hebrew word means, as I said, a fire signal. Some of you watched the movie, The Lord of the Rings. If you remember, one of the scenes within that series is one of these young lads working his way to the top of the fire tower and igniting the fire. And that fire would be seen by a fire tower on another mountain and they would light their fire and so forth and so on until... They had the interest of the entire world to help come to battle against this enemy. That's how the church was painted in definition for us to remember. We are a fire signal, a light for all the ages. When we look at our map of the seven churches, Ephesus is toward the bottom portion of Turkey very close to the sea, and it carries a rich amount of history. Let's take a look, first of all, at the five points that Jesus was basically addressing with his letter to the Ephesians. Number one, it was a portrait of Jesus according to the spiritual state of the church. Now, if you can imagine that, this particular church was a portrait of Jesus. What it was supposed to communicate to the people was love, that Jesus is love, and that everything starts with love. He was the portrait of love, and now Ephesus was supposed to be the portrait of introducing people to God's love. Two, 
He praised the people for their acknowledgments with a handful of positive points. Everything from their deeds to the toils that they were suffering and persevering through all of those trials. They didn't tolerate evil people. They even tested people to make sure that they were of the original sincere portrait. Well, something went wrong. We need to know something very, very important in regard to the history of Ephesus. During the Neolithic period, now that's 5,000 years before Christ. The time of Cain, actually. A lot of people forget. In fact, they don't even ask the question, where did Satan go after Cain was chased into the eastern end of the world? Well, Satan went with him. You see, Satan has to stay bonded to evil. That doesn't mean that Satan was not influential. For example, the battling and temptations that the descendants coming from Abel, the son that seemed to get the inheritance, so to speak, spiritual inheritance, of the righteousness was assigned to the next brother, So as Cain was chased into the eastern part of the world, Satan's evil plan followed with him because Cain's heart was well devoted to evil, which was why he was chased away. Now, this chased away business, many people have not taken the time to ask, well, where was this place? It is Ephesus. It has already been proven through excavations that there was a civilization that existed 5,000 B.C. on the very dirt that we reference today as Ephesus. The Bronze Age. Now keep this in mind. Keep an identification with Satan's work with Cain's descendants. Now we know ultimately what it did is produced a completely vulgar generation that God himself had to wash out with the flood. Now we have the three sons. Ham, interesting note about the Bronze Age, is in 1500 BC. Again, they found through excavation remnants of a community that was from Ham. They're called the Hittites. Anytime you read about Hittites, you're reading about Ham's descendants. So when we look at the three sons of Noah, and Ham was the one that got cursed, Satan obviously is going to follow that generation. So that's the Neolithic period, then the Bronze Age period. Now the Dark Ages is when things began to shift to being more of a female-dominant society. And that's because of the influence of the Greek female gods that were infiltrating many of the communities during this time. Because in 560 BC, there was actually a temple built in Ephesus called the Temple of Women. Now this is not because of some feministic movement that was taking place. This is based upon this female gods. Satan has some kind of thing about putting females in power. You see it in the book of Revelation as it talks about the great whore. You see it in many of the writings of the Old Testament and so forth. 
Well, we're going to talk about why he does advance feminism and what it has to do with his end times. But in 560 BC, we have the Temple of Women built. Now, during the classic period of 478 BC, the whole cultural dominant influence came through women's rights. Almost everything you saw taking place in Ephesus was based on women's rights. Keep the dark thread in the forefront of your mind about how Satan started with the Cainites and stayed with this area all the way to what I consider to be present day. But by 470 BC, they were pushing women's rights. The Hellenistic period, which was about 334 BC, this is when God steps in and literally destroys the city. Something was so foul going on and the degenerate development of Ephesus that God literally stepped in and destroys this city. Much like took place with Cain and Abel and God chases Cain far away. It was quite a ways away from where Adam and Eve were to continue to populate. The flood was God destroying the influence of this feminized Satan figure. And then we find it again now in 334 that God just wipes out this community. Now it pops back a little bit different because in the Roman period, which was significantly noted in 27 BC, is when the Romans began to dominate and capture this particular area for financial reasons. Literally, the city became so influential that the Roman leadership made Ephesus their capital. So Ephesus, for the most part, returned back to the Roman rule. And when Augustus became emperor in 27 BC, that is when he officially made Ephesus the capital city instead of Pergamum. I'm going to tell you some interesting stories about Pergamum when we get to that church. But as you know, Jesus Christ referred to Pergamum. As you know, Satan's throne is in Pergamum. Well, we're going to really dice up the history of Pergamum to understand what Jesus was communicating there. By this time, 27, which sets up for the Christian history, Ephesus regained full power, primarily for economic reasons. And finally, the Christian period. This is uh, 50 AD is when it got maximized. So Ephesus then became such an important center for early Christianity. And Paul would make visits to these seven churches to build these seven churches. And Ephesus just happened to be one of the leading places that Paul was prosperous or the Lord was prosperous in advancing Paul's ministry. Many people were converted and the church took off and began to be very influential, not only in the city of Ephesus, but throughout the region that we know today as Turkey. One of the big things that we had to war with, with Paul's mission with the Ephesians, is this whole female goddess movement that has pretty much taken over the city again. Much is to be said about Paul's ministries, of course, in the New Testament, as he has made his trips to these Roman-controlled cities of the seven churches. 
Looking at the key cultural issues, well, one of the biggest, according to Acts chapter 19, verse 35, is Paul had to re-emphasize men standing up and becoming men. And the reason why there was so much teaching on the issue of masculinity in men is because the men within this city of Ephesus was primarily dominated and run by the women. The women's rights thing has always been there. The whole female goddess thing has always been there. And now the Christian men coming out of this are defaulting to their ladies. So this is why Paul puts such an emphasis on getting men back in line with what they were called to do by God. The Apostle John lived in Asia Minor. After Patmos, he died in Ephesus at a great old age. We must always remember that God did not allow John to be treated or martyred like the other disciples. He was set aside for something very special. Doesn't mean he did not have trials and tribulations, but he certainly was set aside to be a special cut for a specific purpose. Therefore, he was not able to be harmed in any way. He was the only one that died of old age and of natural causes, by the way, in the city of Ephesus. There is so much that can be revealed to us about the movement of the enemy and female gods and female leadership. One of the classic ones that most people are aware of, the House of Mary is in Ephesus. The House of Mary was seized by the Roman Catholics at a very, very early time in church history. In fact, most believe it was during the first generation. And they turned it into a worship center. And this is where we get our ideologies from the Roman Catholic Church, of Mary being the mother of God, the holy mother, the mother of God that is given special privileges and didn't have sin in her because she birthed Jesus. And all of these false teachings that have come with Mary started in Ephesus. But the reason why we have this house of Mary still existing to this very day is because it parallels with all of the teachings and religious bondage that took place between Ephesus and the power of women. That is an interesting note I would remember. The other thing that I always like to remember as a church historian is that this is the exact place, the third ecumenical council of the Universal Church in 431 A.D. took place, the House of Mary. The results of all this is historical to say the least. But there's a lot of rich history with Ephesus, a lot of issues surrounding maleness and femaleness. I think if we step back and look at some of the issues we struggle with today with Christian feminism, boys wanting to be women, might parallel itself up to this history. The result of the shifting of these Christians to their love of whatever the culture was saying is important threatened them and their relationship with Jesus Christ enough for Jesus to come and say, because you've lost your first love, and that's the issue, your first love. You see, their first love was Jesus, and they have defaulted to probably many other types of gods or goddesses, 
and Jesus was actually coming to address that. This also happens to be the church that Jesus addresses in regard to giving them a compliment of hating the Nicolaitan beliefs. Well, the Nicolaitan, Deacon Nicholas, for example, graduated from the school of Alexander, and Alexander was known in their training and education of being based upon paganism. And what he was doing is he was bringing a doctrine into the Ephesus church pushing and emphasizing there needs to be a priest between the people and God or Christ that obviously became the father of each church that's where roman catholicism was born is through deacon nicholas another interesting point i would keep close to my bosom and by the way deacon nicholas became the first official pope of the Roman Catholic Church. And this is what Jesus was addressing. Himself said, for I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Another interesting note that we need to remember is that after John's death, the city was taken by the Goths, the Arians. Now most of you associate Arians with white supremacy. Ah, uh, that'd be a good connection because that's exactly how they were. So after John's death here Ephesus goes through this horrific period of turning Arian. We'll talk more about that later. Revelation 2 verses 6 and 7 tells us this. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. He who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. When we talk about or Jesus talks about removing a candlestick from the throne room of heaven, it does not necessarily mean that every single Christian that was a part of one of these seven churches is removed. We as people have to face individual judgment of God. If we're truly indwelt and have the life of Jesus Christ, we will escape the consequences of that judgment. But as a church of Ephesus, as a whole, they are being warned of being removed corporately from the throne room of God, and that's a significant piece of history. God is very much into churches and their shepherds. That God's design is to establish shepherds to care for the sheep, the body of Christ, not leaders to lord over them and act as mediators between them and the living God. This deacon Nicholas was whacked. I don't care if you really are insulted by the fact that this is the Roman forefather of your church or not. The simple facts are Jesus said he hates the deeds of deacon Nicholas. it was becoming a system so god makes it clear that christians who do not buy into this illusion this deception will be eating from the tree of life we have reviewed the past present and future history of the church of ephesus but i doubt we even touched the dainty morsels of it this is a rich cultural area to this very day in which people fight over The history goes back so far and so deep it goes back to Cain and his loyalty to Satan selling his soul to Satan to prosper. 
folks, it's not over. There's more to come. There's another chapter in regard to the conclusion of the church at Ephesus. Until next time. Thank you for being our guest today. We hope you decide to join us each week as we meticulously work our way through the book of Revelation. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We host over 300 videos that focus on the believer's identity in Christ. Until next time.